the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, look, I get that two losses in a row at home can be deflating, but there's still a whole lot of NBA season left to be played, and we're here to brighten your spirits. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the StadiumScene.tv network. Part of the Overtime Media crew, and we are coming to you live from the Vivid Seat Studios. So look, I get it. Losses to the Heat, losses to the Rockets. That's not ideal, considering the high that we were rolling on for the Raptors. But everything's going to be okay, alright? Everything's going to be good. And I got some company here to help hopefully emphasize that. Joining me today to discuss all things Toronto Raptors is Leo Kozai of Raptors Rapture. Welcome back to the show, man. What's up? What's up, Adam? Happy to be back. Good, good. I'm glad. Um, so yeah, look, I understand that people were were really upset about these losses, uh, specifically to Miami and you know to the Rockets. But it's not all doom and gloom, right? You can you can agree with me there. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Good. Um, I just I look. I understand that two losses in a row. I think that was the most losses in a row we had last season, right? We never exceeded two um, losses in a row, right? Yeah, yeah. The No, they so they lost three in a row the last time. I actually looked this up um, not too long ago. The last time, I think, was November, like, 12th to 16th, 2018. Oh, wow. So oh, it's wow. been over, yeah, it's been over a year since they've lost three in a row, actually, including playoffs. So, um, yeah, so if they lose tomorrow... Uh, Sunday night versus Philly, that would be the first time they have a three-game losing streak in over a year. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's let's keep the fingers crossed. Um, before we continue, I need to apologize in advance for my voice. As you can tell, I probably, I, as you can probably tell, I should say, I have a cold. Um, but the ship doesn't stop here. Uh, just because I have a, a little cold, we still go on. <laughs> we still we still talk Raptors. Um, I'm not going to let a little cold stop me, but uh, I'm, I'm glad we're doing this, and um, I'm glad that we're able to talk people off the ledge. Um, so we're going to get into all things Raptors in a bit, but before we do, we got to pay the bills first, and we got to do a little bit of house cleaning. First of all, if you're listening to the show for the first time, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, if, you, if you like what you hear, feel free to hit the subscribe button. We are on all your favorite podcatchers, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the like, Stitcher, all of them. Um, and while you're there, leave us a five-star review and uh, leave us a little uh, a little blurb that helps us out a bunch, makes the show a little bit more accessible to those that are looking for Toronto Raptors content. I know that's a, that's a really popular medium right now, so um, we do what we can to make sure we are entertaining you on the regular. Um, also, uh, like I, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we are coming to you from the Vivid Seas studio. Look, the Raptors hit the road for two games, but later on in the coming week, they come back to the Scotiabank Arena for a few. And we want to help you get in on the action. It's simple. All you got to do is download the Vivid Seats app. We partnered with Vivid Seats to give you the best opportunity to see your reigning, defending, and undisputed champions live. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for the events you want to go to. Whether it's a Raptors game, a concert, theater show, comedy show, whatever you want to go to, We've got you covered. And they made it easy, man. All you got to do is download the Vivid Seats app on your favorite device, whether it's an iPhone, an Android, whatever you're using, and search for your event. You can sort by you can search by price, by seats, by section, by row, all within the Vivid Seats app. 
And to make things better, better Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back on all their purchases called a Vivid Seats reward. The best part is you're automatically enrolled. There's no red tape. There's no hoops you got to jump through. I can't believe this is real. You're just automatically enrolled for free money. And that's not all. All purchases are backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. And we here at the South of Six Podcast, we're hooking you up. Check it out. First time customers that use promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, all one word, get up to 100 bucks off their first ticket purchase. Look, you can buy uh, tickets to the Raptors game coming up next week, and you can get up to 100 bucks off just like that by using promo code OVERTIME. That's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, all within the Vivid Seats app. We got a whole jam-packed show for you today. I have a special announcement coming up right after this commercial break. Hang tight. We will be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Leo. This is... I might have blown this out of proportion. I might have made this a bigger deal than it is. You DM me saying, yo, what's this big news? It's really not that big of a deal, but I feel like, you know, part of hosting a podcast, part of having this sort of medium, it's important to sort of take a step back and to analyze what's going on, to analyze not just the numbers, but the interactions and to analyze you know, uh, how how things are going in terms of the grand scheme, the long-term, year-long-term, uh, you know, analytics and stuff. I've been doing this pretty much on the regular week after week for the past three years. And by far, by far, the most interactions I've had are with Raptors fans, right? I started this off as a Blue Jays and a Raptors podcast. After discussing this with Overtime Media, they host this podcast. They help me out a bunch. We have decided to cut Blue Jays completely out of this medium, and we are 100% dedicated now to strictly Toronto Raptors talk. So there will be no more Toronto Blue Jays coverage. Um, It seems like baseball is taking a dip in interest. Um, You know, a lot of people aren't liking the directions the Blue Jays are going. A lot of people aren't liking the way baseball in general is going. And basketball is becoming much more of a popular sport. So that being said, I got to look at the analytics. I got to look at the numbers, and more importantly, it gives me a chance to sort of recharge my batteries in the summer, you know, to sort of take a step back, spend time with my family, take the summer off. So from this point forward, we are strictly a Toronto Raptors podcast. That's the announcement. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Baseball, like, I actually got into baseball a lot more this year, and I like, the playoffs were a lot of fun, but, you know, it's such a long regular season. And um, especially when the Jays aren't doing great, it's like it's tough to talk about them every single week, you know? Yeah. Yeah, basically, you know, and that's if uh, many of you have already noticed there's new artwork for the show. You should be able to see it. If not for this episode, it will definitely happen next episode. The the Twitter logo has been updated as well to emphasize that we are um, strictly a Toronto Raptors podcast. And look, this doesn't mean I don't love the Blue Jays doesn't mean I don't love baseball. It's just that, you know, the direction of the show is trending much more heavily to Toronto Raptors talk. So I got to listen to the to the demand, got to listen to the people and the people I've spoken. This is now a strictly a Toronto Raptors podcast. And you, Lior, are the first guest on a strictly Toronto Raptors wow. podcast for the South of the Six podcast. So, hey, we're just we're just load managing baseball for a couple of <laughs> years. 
<laughs> that's true. That's true. Until it until it pops back up. Um, so look, you sort of segued into it. Let's start there, right? Let's start with the load management king known as Kawhi Leonard. And we'll get into the Rockets <laughs> and we'll get into the Heat in a little bit. Let's start with Kawhi. Kawhi makes his return to Toronto on Wednesday. And I don't know if you watched the entire Clippers Bucks game last night. It's important to know. Oh, yeah. We're recording this Saturday afternoon. So you watched the entire game. Yeah, I did. Oh, man. All right. So I wasn't able to watch the game, <laughs> but I did see the clip of him, you know, looking absolutely deflated <laughs> on the sideline. Um, regardless of that, though, you know, Kawhi coming back to Toronto is obviously a big deal. He's going to get his ring. There's going to be a warm reception. First of all, how do you think the response overall, even in-game, will be for Kawhi? Do you think it's going to be similar to that of DeRozan's return to Toronto? And also, do you think there's a part of him, you know, strictly based on that clip last night of him on the sideline, do you think there's a part of him that's thinking, damn, maybe I should have stayed with the Raptors? What do you think? Chop it up. Um, I think the reception, the beginning reception, will be similar to DeRozan, the sense of just that huge ovation and just like a very long, like extended applause, kind of unlike anything we've seen, like besides DeRozan. Um, in game, I would be surprised if they're like cheering for him every possession the way they did for DeMar last year. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely, definitely like overwhelmingly positive. I mean, we see the occasional person who's kind of super salty about Kawhi on Twitter or something, but I think that's a very small uh, portion of the fan base. And I don't think that's at all going to be um, indicative of like everyone's feelings because I just think. Obviously, like it, there's really no need to justify like why everyone's cheering for Kawhi. He's going to be he he's a legend in Toronto already. He might get a statue for the shot. Like and <laughs> that's just like that's just that's just established um, in terms of um, his thought process. That's a tough question because like we still don't know a whole lot about Kawhi. Like we want to say we do, but like we don't know. I thought he might I thought like just the playoff run was so like amazing and his and his tie to the team was so close that I thought he had a real chance of staying and they did everything they could to have him stay and he still left so it's hard to think um it's hard to think that like if he left anyway that he would have any regrets just because this wasn't entirely a basketball decision it was but he obviously considered his family a lot and the location, and that's understandable. That's like, what else can you ask for a guy, especially after a championship? Um, but yeah, maybe I'm sure he must consider at least a little bit in the back of his mind, like, look at how well this team's doing without him, and they might be the title favorite if he had stayed, or they would at least be like one of the title contenders. So for sure, I mean, he probably thinks about it, but I don't think... I don't think he would regret his decision just because of all the factors that went into it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the Clippers are a shitty basketball team, right? It's not like the yeah. Clippers are a team that's that's not going to be successful, especially in the postseason, you know, assuming health for everyone. Um, but at the same time, you know, we look at Kawhi Leonard and we examine him as sort of not human like obviously we know he has human characteristics but in terms of his you know emotional response to things they seem sort of not human in that aspect he, he keeps his emotions very close to the vest um it makes me wonder how sentimental 
this actually is to him, how important a moment like this actually is to him coming back to Toronto, even similarly to him coming back to San Antonio last year. Like, remember, when they played the tribute video, he's still stretching on the sidelines, not even looking up, not even acknowledging (laughs) it. I can see something similar happening in Toronto. I don't necessarily look look at that as a sign of disrespect, whereas I see it more of a sign of focus. And I hope that's not lost in translation when it comes to Raptors fans as well. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, just... He's not, yeah, he's not someone who shows a ton of emotion. I feel like he'll acknowledge the crowd or something. San Antonio, obviously, that just ended very bitterly and badly. But, yeah, obviously, it's kind of the total opposite, just where he's, um, where, obviously, he's coming off of, like, the highest note. But I think I'll just do, like, a small acknowledgement. But, like you said, yeah, he's not one to show a ton of emotion. And, like, even at the parade, like, he did, like, the lap, and he did, like, a little speech, <laughs> but, like, it wasn't, like, a big, um, like, heartfelt, emotional speech the way, like, Masai Ujiri will talk, or even, like, a guy like DeMar DeRozan will talk. Um, I think, so I think, yeah, I agree with you that it won't be, like, a huge show of emotion, but definitely, like, some little acknowledgement, especially when he gets his ring. I also think the difference between um, his return to Toronto and his return to San Antonio is that, the fan base in San Antonio was largely salty and largely negative in their response. Oh, yeah. to Kawhi, right? And so this will be a completely different atmosphere. And maybe the positive response and environment towards Kawhi, maybe that will sort of shift his his emotional response. I don't bank on it. And again, I don't think this means that he doesn't care. I'm sure he cares, but you know, I I'm sure you've seen the quote floating around on Twitter yeah. and Instagram. Like he's just focused on winning a basketball game in Toronto. That's it. And you know, that's not anything unlike he was when he was with the Raptors. He was always like that here. He didn't have that sort of, you know, distraction like maybe Joel Embiid had when he came back to play Marcus All, <laughs> or like, you know, Kyrie Irving did not have when he didn't play the Celtics this year because maybe he didn't want to face the music. I don't know. But when it comes to Kawhi Leonard, all he cares about is winning basketball games. And I'm just hoping that the fans don't see him like if if he doesn't give an acknowledgement. If he doesn't give like yeah, a little head I, nod or or a fucking finger nod or yeah, whatever. I it's mean, nothing. I'm I'm guessing there will be someone like Steve Simmons of the Toronto Sun or someone like that who's just like looking to stir up controversy is like <laughs> oh why didn't Kawhi why didn't Kawhi like do more to acknowledge the fans or whatever and that's gonna be stupid because there's always someone who like looks for that kind of straw man argument that like oh um just because he didn't like go out of his way to make like a big deal out of it then that means like he doesn't care I think that's just that's who he is at least publicly and He's not going to change like his entire persona and start like tearing up just because just because it's a big moment. I think he'll do like his usual thing. And that doesn't mean that's not indicative of like his actual like love for Toronto or his or how much he cares. I think it's just who he is. And like you said, he's always focused on the game and that's OK. That's like you can't get someone to change his entire personality for one game. It's true. You know, and. I don't know if you've if you've you know looked on Twitter and seen how how many you know tweets and how many interactions there have been regarding you know when things get closer to game time 
Like when things get closer to the the arrival of Kawhi Leonard, obviously we're going to revisit these things, right? Like when Giannis, yeah. um, you know, in the Raptors played earlier this year, there was this huge like you know outpouring on Twitter about how the Raptors are going to snatch up Giannis in twenty twenty one. Like that's just it's natural, it's going to happen. There needs to be some <laughs> sort of storyline and narrative around it, right? And right now the storyline that is starting to pick up some steam is well, what if Kawhi didn't leave? What if Kawhi stayed? What if Kawhi, you know, ran it back for one more year and then went into the to the twenty twenty class as a free agent? What would have happened? Um, so I kind of wanted to get your your take on that. Do you think that you know there's this huge butterfly effect of what if Kawhi would stay? Like you have to imagine that maybe OKC wouldn't have blown it up, right? Maybe Paul George yeah. and, and Westbrook would still be in OKC and they'd be battling out for the West, and maybe they'd be they'd make rather some corresponding moves. Um, maybe Danny Green would be on this team, but at the same time, maybe that means OG Ananobi doesn't shine as much right now. Maybe Norman Powell doesn't get as much of a run right now to uh, <coughs> be trade bait <coughs> or something like you know, like maybe <laughs> maybe there's there's this aspect of Toronto Raptors butterfly effect that we're not examining. So I kind of wanted to get your take. Did you do any sort of mental deep dive into this, or how do you feel the landscape would have changed if Kawhi would have stayed? Honestly, I haven't considered it just because. Like I did that a lot in the summer and then and then I'm kind of like, well, you got to move on. Um, and the Raptors are really good still. They're a really fun team. And this is just what it is. But yeah, of course, like if we're considering it, I think they would be the title favorite, honestly, um, just after having all that experience. And I think there still would be room for at least Siakam to grow, maybe not to this extent, but somewhat. And then just as a young player and someone who develops skills so quickly, I think he would have improved still. And then you put Kawhi next to him. I think Danny Green might have left anyway, just because that luxury tax bill would have been insane. And I'm not sure if they were really um, ever offering him close to what the Lakers and Mavs offered him. But I think they would still be really, really good. And I think even if Milwaukee won more regular season games, everyone would be kind of more skeptical of them just because of what happened last year. And that kind of puts the Raptors in the position as like this elite defensive team. Now they still have the top ISO score and this is kind of like the team to beat, right? And those teams always need to kind of get over the hump teams like Milwaukee who are just this young team that hasn't proven it yet. And the Raptors will have been the team that proved it. But at the same time, like you never know um, kind of the ripple effect. Like you said, OG and Anobi probably doesn't develop the way he does. Um, probably the same for Fred Van Vliet. And there are just a lot of um, like factors that we can't say for sure, but definitely like right up there. Um, where would you, what do you think about kind of, I would focus on like, what, what do you think about Pascal? Do you think he would still develop the same way? I think he wouldn't be like, all right. So we're looking at him as a, a, some people, and I'm in this camp, um, a top five MVP candidate right now. I don't know that mm -hmm. he'd be in that conversation, but I do think we would see these incremental or even major leaps in his game much in the same way. Obviously, he wouldn't have as many like possessions. Obviously, he wouldn't have as many touches mm -hmm. because you know you can spread the ball around. As you mentioned, Kawhi is this ISO type of player. Um, so maybe we wouldn't see it with such dominance or w with such force from Pascal Siakam, but I do think we would value him the same. Um, 
And moreover, I do think that like we wouldn't you, you examine the beginning of the season of Kyle Lowry, right? Kyle Lowry came out with the vengeance yeah. in the beginning of the season, putting out oh, video yeah. game numbers, right? And it's taking him a little bit of a time to to get back into that groove. We'll get into that in a bit, but Kyle Lowry would probably be the same type of player that he was last year, i.e., more of a of a pass friendly player, uh, a facilitator rather than a scorer. Um, that would be sort of reminiscent to last year, and I don't think we would bat an eye. Um, he yeah. would probably still be as aggressive in terms of taking charges and whatnot because that's Kyle Lowry's game. But you know, you also mentioned Fred Van Vliet. I do think, though, if we're going to flip it on like a positive kind of thing, if Kawhi stayed, this bench mob led by Fred Van Vliet would be deadly, right? You ha- you would have to assume that Fred, maybe they still sign RHJ. Uh, Terrence Davis would probably still be picked up. Uh, um, Serge mm-hmm. coming off the bench, and uh, maybe Norm. Throw Norm in that conversation. Like that bench mob would probably be pretty robust compared to what's going mm-hmm. on right now. Um, do you think Van Vliet still starts? I don't. Because I think you don't. No. So who starts then? Do you think Danny's back? Yeah, I do think Danny's back because there's okay. a reason why he waited to sign when Kawhi yeah. signed. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's fair. It's hard to say because a lot of people were concerned about, I remember before Danny signed, like, are they going to, how much are they going to shell up for him and all that? But obviously, we know he loves Toronto. He was there basically until the end of the offseason. Yeah. So, like, I can't, uh, yeah, I can't dispute that. I'm just, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it, it was weird, the whole thing with Danny, because obviously, he definitely must have made Kawhi's decision but like also that money at some point the difference it's hard to make up well see the thing is when it comes to Danny Green like I I was just doing a a mental brainstorm right now because you mentioned that he you know stayed in Toronto Mm -hmm. and he was doing a lot of activities in Toronto I think that was by design Right, you remember like towards mm-hmm. like waiting for Kawhi's decision, he was doing a bunch of live sto- uh, live uh, shows yeah. for Inside the Green Room. He was, I think that was sort of to establish a market in the event that Kawhi stayed, right? Because if he or, had already established that market, he would say, okay, this is already conquered. I can stay here and be comfortable and I can make some de- decent coin. And especially with like advertisements and sponsorships and whatnot, I'm sure he would like reap the benefits there. Um, so there was definitely this... I don't know this this attempt or rather it was it was rather successful but when it comes to how he was like analyzing the market in Toronto if Kawhi stayed I based on what he was doing in the offseason up until that point I do think he was ready to sign on the dotted line regardless of like the the taxes or whatnot or the the yeah. offer in comparison to other teams I think he would have stayed yeah that's fair and then when we talk about the bench mob like the thing that I'm curious about is like Going into this season, we were talking about, um, or maybe not us, but Nick Nurse at least was talking about like he only trusts eight guys, and mm. Patrick McCall was one of them, and obviously Kawhi and Danny would have been two more. But does that mean Hollis Jefferson doesn't get as much of an opportunity, especially if let's say, um, I mean Lowry and Ibaka's injuries were kind of like fluke injuries, a thumb and an ankle, like that can happen anytime, so right, we never right. know, but. Even if those still happen, um, if Kawhi is just taking up all this usage and all these minutes, like does Hollis Jefferson get as much of a chance? Does Terrence Davis get as much of a chance? And it's hard to tell, especially with um, another guard in Danny Green, too. And I mean, I feel like Hollis Jefferson would have 
gotten in there at some point anyway, just because his game is like can translate so easily, whether he plays five minutes or 25 minutes, he's always going to play the same way hustle, um, just providing that defense, the offensive rebounding, and he would have gotten a chance. But Terrence Davis, a guy like that who kind of needs to get a couple shots up, needs to get a rhythm. I don't know if he ever gets those minutes. So in some ways like that, I'm kind of unsure of, um, but like you said, like I still think Van Vliet has a nice season. Um, but to this extent, it's kind of hard to tell, um, especially coming off the bench. Like he's averaged, like right now as a starter, he's averaging like 19.7 assists. Right. Some people are even talking about him as like a potential all-star. And like, I just don't see that, uh, him being that good. I think he would still be like maybe a sixth man of the year candidate, but not, um, to this extent, like this good of a player as we've seen his development. Yeah, that's probably true, right? He probably, it, I, I hate saying this, but there's a good chance that if Kawhi stayed and Danny stayed, Fred Van Vliet would have been on the way out after the season, right? Like, cause really? I do, oh, because he's a free agent, right? Yes, yes. He'd probably be thinking like, I need these starter minutes. Like I, I, I consider myself to be a starter of the NBA. And if another team sort of, uh, you know, lent that to him and said, hey, we're, we want yeah. to bring you on as the point guard of the, of the future of this team, like starting right away. You know, assuming Kyle Lowry still signs that extension, he'd probably be like, well, that I don't really have that much space open to me to do that in Toronto. So, like, I, I do think there's a good chance that Fred Van Vliet would have left. And, you know, having, you just talked about a bunch of the free agents that the Raptors picked up. Stanley Johnson wouldn't be on this team. Matt Thomas probably wouldn't mm -hmm. even be on this team. Uh, Chris Boucher probably wouldn't even get that many extended looks on this team. Um, maybe if that Serge Ibaka injury still happened, then by design, you kind of have to. But, you know, there's a lot of equations. There's a lot of shuffling of the deck that would have happened and if Kawhi stayed. I have one more, um, one more thing I think we didn't think about is if Kawhi's signing, let's say, like you said, that he's signing for one year, um, re-signing in Toronto, then it's kind of like last year in the sense that there's still all this pressure on them. And yeah. I think that's something a lot of people have talked about on Twitter, just that the pressure's all off now and they can experiment, they can try out new things, they can try the young players, they can kind of mix and match. And Nick Nurse has all the freedom in the world because there's no pressure, there's no Kawhi's free agency looming. And if that's looming again, I don't know how many minutes um, these young guys can get. I don't know how far they can kind of experiment with the different lineups and kind of the, the um, even stuff like Van Vliet and Lowry starting and playing like 38 minutes a game. Like, I don't know how much, how kind of creative they can get with that if Kawhi's there and they still need to kind of please him and make sure that everything caters to him. And obviously it's worth it for a guy like Kawhi, but you obviously just don't get that benefit anymore of, um, of having all that freedom as a coach. You know, there's something to be said about a team exceeding, you know, expectations. So we can put a bow on it right here when it comes to this topic. But there's something to be said about, you know, walking into a season like last year, sort of having a championship as a goal and not only a goal, an expectation, right? You walk mm -hmm. into the season, you're like, okay, we're championship favorites. This, this better happen. It's boom or bust compared to this season when we're walking in and be like, well, you know, I kind of think maybe there are third seeded team at best they're probably not going to make it to a, to a finals run whatever but like it's still going to be fun you know they're defending champs you have to back up your team but then you see them perform as they have been 
you know, throughout the, so far in the regular season, you're kind of thinking of like, oh man, this is this is way better than I thought it was going to be. This is way more um, fun than I thought it was going to be. Let let's let's keep watching. This is this is great. There's there's an excitement and a surprise factor to this season that you obviously wouldn't have gotten if Kawhi stayed. So I, you know, you got to pick your battles here. You got to pick and choose. Would you rather have the expectation of nope, finals bound, let's go, and if that didn't work out, you're sort of deflated in that way. Or would you rather have like a pleasant surprise and be like, okay, we can we can kind of do this. The East is seemingly ostensibly wide open. Let's go for it. I think I'd rather go for the latter at that point. Um, I think I still go for being the favorite just because like <laughs> just because of how awesome you that tasted team was. It, <laughs> like, like I'm thinking back to last year. Like I was just thinking recently um, of like just all the great games last year, and there was that Indiana game where Van Vliet hit the game winner, and then Kawhi hit like three, four game winners. Portland, Brooklyn, and like the Danny game where he had like eight threes in the third quarter, and there were just so many moments last year, but. I mean, I can't fault you for the latter either because this season has been awesome so far. And um, and it's a fun team. Like you said, they're defying expectations. And this first month, like I thought they were going to be really good, like a lot better than the consensus. But I, even I couldn't have seen this. And it's a fun team, like you said. And there's nothing wrong with picking the latter option. Well, regardless, Kawhi will make his return on Wednesday. There will be emotions running high, I'm sure. At least this time, unlike last time Kawhi played the, the Raptors, we don't have to stay up until 10 p.m. just to start the game, right? We can watch it at a, at a reasonable hour, or at least I can. Um, and so it's it's going to be fun. Emotions are going to run high. I do think it's going to be one of those aspects like DeMar, like, especially in the beginning, that every time Kawhi mm. touches the ball, they'll they'll chant or scream. There might even be some MVP chants happening. Um, but like I, as I mentioned, if he doesn't respond, if he doesn't give any sort of acknowledgement, it's not a big middle finger to the fan base. It's just he's robotic. <laughs> he's robotic. We know this. So like you know, channel your inner Kawhi and uh, just enjoy it because it should be a fun game. And uh, we'll get to predicting that later. But we gotta take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna ease everybody's worries about the Heat and the Rockets game. Hang tight. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> All right, so as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Raptors just dropped two straight games at home, both to the Heat and the Rockets, respectively. Both games were similar in terms of the flaws, I think. But it's not like the team played terribly, right? And, you know, there's a lot of chatter now about whether or not the Raptors can hang in against robust competition, whether or not they can hang in big moments. So chop it up, man. What is, in your opinion, what went wrong? And do these losses sort of dissuade you? from any sort of expectations that you had for the team at the jump of the season? Or are you like, nah, everything's going to be fine. It's just two losses. Season's still early. What do you think? Um, I'm definitely the latter. Like, I'm not too worried about it. I think um, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's like obvious, but it's kind of like there were pretty um, particular issues in each game. Like in the Houston game, um, Obviously, we saw right away they were trapping Harden at half court, and they basically played three on four defense the entire game. Yep. And they were like, we're not letting Harden get his, and we're going to make everyone else beat us. And those guys did beat them. Yeah. And I mean, they gave up. So this is the one concern I would say is that the Raptors give up the most corner threes in the NBA of any team. And that's kind of a bit of a concern just because the corner three 
he's one of the most efficient shots in basketball. You don't want to give up those open threes. Um, but they gave up 23 to Houston versus 12 is their season average leading the <laughs> league. So 23 is just insane. And obviously Houston capitalized Ben McElmore, a very mediocre player who, if um, if we recall, um, the Raptors had for, what, two days last year? Yep. And cut him. <laughs> and he hit eight threes. Um, Daniel House, like all these shooters that Houston has were just on fire. But they were getting easy shots. So the concern there is the corner three. Um, I think if they had tightened up that and just given up the wing threes, like even to guys like PJ Tucker, like good shooters, they're not as good from the wing. And maybe they missed some of those. But the Raptors were right in the game, right? They made that big run. They tightened up the defense, start getting in transition. And they were like right there. They were up, I think, one, like with seven or eight minutes in the fourth. And then. Mm-hmm. So they blew, they kind of blew it down the stretch and the defense should have been better, but it wasn't the most concerning. And then the Miami game, I think um, kind of the opposite end on offense. I think they just, Pascal, obviously, Bama DeBio did a great job on him and Pascal couldn't really get where he wanted and he kind of stopped shooting after a while right. and only took like, one shot in the last like i think fourth quarter and overtime so obviously he was kind of taken out of the game um kyle lowry was just back from injury um obviously O of 11 threes is a big problem but he shot a lot better in the houston game i'm not too worried about that i think that's just a rhythm thing it was more just the raptors couldn't um they couldn't really score in the half court and they were get when they got in transition they did a great job i think they're the high scoring fast break team in the league actually but they just need to um they need to kind of sharpen up their half court offense sometimes and sometimes that comes down to missing shots sometimes it's about the ball movement getting better shots what frustrated me about the the houston rockets game we'll start there because it's the most recent Mm -hmm. and i'm sure this is like you know recency bias aside this is probably the the more devastating loss of the two i think um when it comes to the rockets game Look, I, I get the aspect of double teaming, double teaming Harden. Like that is yeah. something that like sort of was obvious from the jump. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad philosophy. But once you see the other players, as you mentioned, you know, after challenging them to beat the Raptors and they were doing an adequate job of doing so, you sort of need to lay off the double team. Like maybe in certain situations you could still do it in, in terms of trapping and whatnot, but you know, pretty much putting a full court press on Harden and meeting him at the, at the half court and double teaming him, that was pretty detrimental to the Raptors and their defensive scheming. And if we noticed this, or I, I think everyone for the most part noticed this on Twitter, then you got to think that Nick Nurse did. And Nick Nurse yeah. is, as we have credited him to make these adjustments, especially on the offensive end. But we'll we'll stick to the defensive end, you know, with a box and one and whatnot. <laughs> there was no adjustment like he sort of was stubborn on this it was sort yeah. of and I, I say this apprehensively it was sort of casey-esque in that aspect <laughs> that he just he wanted this to work by any means necessary and it didn't so yeah you know talk to me about this do you feel that this was an error in judgment on nurse's behalf um yeah i mean it like you kind of have to agree i feel like the process was still okay like it was the right idea to force Harden the ball out of Harden's hands because we saw kind of whenever he did get the ball he was scoring like he was 7 of 11 6 of 6 free throws like he was scoring every time he caught the ball basically like without a double team 
Um, but yeah, like you said, when you get killed over and over again, at some point something has to change. I would almost say when Westbrook was in the game, um, the double team was better just because Westbrook is basically a non-shooter. And then if you have a center like Capella in the game, it's another non-shooter. So you're playing three on four, but these guys can't really shoot. So you can at least stick to the corner guys and you kind of have to focus on those ones. But when Westbrook's out of the game, I I think you're right. Like you got to go to single coverage and kind of um, like give help when it's needed, but you just can't let those shooters just destroy you over and over again because like if Westbrook's the one shooting it, fine. He's all of six threes. He's having a like I think the worst high volume three point shooting season of all time. Yeah. Uh, like literally by statistics, but <laughs> everyone else, <laughs> yeah, he's like twenty point one percent or something on like a lot of three point attempts. Um, but then you're looking at everyone else, and it's just shooters, shooters all over the floor. Rivers, House, Tucker, Macklemore. I think you're right. Like. He was a bit too stubborn in that. And at some point you kind of have to say like, okay, Harden, like, what do you have? Like, like, yeah, he's scoring, but let's see him do it on higher volume. Maybe when he's tired towards the end of the game, it would have been a little harder. Um, and then kind of make them beat you a different way, at least, even if it's not, um, even if the shooters are hitting everything, like just, just shut those guys down and let's see Harden like do it every time. And at least they have a good one-on-one defender in OG and Anobi. It's not like you're putting some um some like okay defender on Harden. You're basically got you basically got an all defense level guy. So let's see what he can do one-on-one against him. Yeah, you know, I mentioned recency bias, and this is coming off a game that Harden dropped 60 points, right? And yeah, <laughs> even even if they went single coverage with OG, as you suggest, and I don't disagree, there's no way I'm thinking that Harden's going to drop another 60. Like, could he have gotten to like close to 40 points? Sure, maybe. Like, I'm not going to discount that because Harden is a great scorer. But you have to trust your defense. You have to trust your guys. And when you examine something not working, you got to make adjustments. And this, and knowing Nurse, I'm just surprised that those adjustments weren't there. Mm. And, you know, similarly yeah. to the offensive end, I, you and I were talking about this on Twitter as well. Like, there was, they were trying to go shot for shot with Houston in terms of a three-point game. And the Raptors' shots just weren't hitting at all from beyond the arc. Like, they, were sh- they weren't shooting well. Yeah. So it's like, I'm looking at it right now, approximately 31% from deep. Can't do yeah. that. You can't, you can't, you're not going to win games shooting that way. And the, the, the middle, the paint, I feel like was wide open for the taking. Like it was there for them to capitalize on. They just didn't specifically Pascal Siakam. So it makes me wonder, like, what was the offensive game plan? And if it was just to go shot for shot with them beyond the arc, once you notice come like the first half even, that's not working. You have to make adjustments, and they just didn't. Like, this is why, for me, this was a more devastating loss than Miami. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, yeah, like we said on Twitter, kind of the the Raptors are the best, or they were before the Miami game. They were the best three-point shooting team in the league. And just the last two games have pushed them down to second because the Miami game, they shot 11 for 43, 26%. Like you said, this last game, 31% from three. So they were just missing everything. But like you said, the paint was open for the taking. Whenever Pascal drove, like good things were happening. Um, they were getting pretty easy shots at the rim and they were getting fouled too, a little bit at least. And 
a little bit more than Houston. So they were getting to the rim. Like when they got to the rim, they were scoring pretty efficiently. It was just, it was too much settling for the threes and they were getting open threes, but at some point they're just not falling. And we've seen the same for Houston in like past playoff runs, right? Like the, the famous 27 straight missed threes, obviously not to that extent, but when you're that off from three, like just get to the rim. Houston doesn't have much rim protection. They have Capella, but he was kind of like Pascal was going right over him. Like he's not, uh, he's not Gobert. He's not like the most elite shot blocker. He's good, but he's not stopping like these athletic guys, especially off of ball movement where you get kind of a step on him and you're, and you get one step by him and it's easy. Like, so yeah, definitely the Raptors are a good three point shooting team and they should take them when they're open. But at some point, if it's just not falling, which each of the last two games has been the case, you've got to take it to the rim. And especially if it's a team that's not um, that's not really going to have a chance of stopping you. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned Gobert, and like, yes, he's he's an athletic, you know, player, and you know, a, a defensive stud. But Siakam pretty much ate his lunch yeah. when they played. You know, like yeah, so, you're you, right. you wonder why this couldn't be replicated because that is Siakam's game. Like the the spin move and the post ups in the middle, he just seemed apprehensive. Even on fast breaks, there are certain similar times in fast breaks situations in mm-hmm. this Houston game that he didn't want to exert his body and drive to the rim. Rather, he just like made these awkward hook shots and trying to draw a foul. Like to me, that's not how yeah. you play. You need to make the basket, and hopefully the foul comes. And if it doesn't, at least you scored at that point. Yeah, even as I said Gobert, I was thinking like, wait, Pascal like took a ten every time. Like this is not even an issue. Yeah, yeah. Like I think the only like I was saying a few um, a few games ago, I was saying how like there are only five or six guys in the entire league who can really limit Pascal one on one or at the rim. Like you've got like Jonathan Isaac. Obviously, we've seen that matchup so many times where he gives them a little problem. Um, Giannis, Anthony Davis. Um, Ben Simmons sometimes does a good job, but that's kind of it. Like even a guy like Embiid can't really limit Pascal anymore because he's got that above the break three that we always talk about where he's hitting it from the top now and Embiid can't just sit in the paint. So there are only a few guys in the entire league. Um, Bam is another one who can kind of guard him on the perimeter. And then also when Pascal drives on them, stay with him. So um, Houston didn't really have one of those guys. And he was kind of just, um, yeah, he was kind of settling a little bit for the jump shot or like you said, like those weird flailing hook shots. And it's just like, take it inside. Like you're not, you're not getting blocked. You're not getting like a real good contest on you. And, um, and I don't know why they were a little bit passive there. Um, it might've just been fatigue from that defensive scheme where you're kind of running all over the place the whole game. But yeah, it was kind of disappointing to see on the offensive end. Do you have in your mind a justification for why Norman Powell closed out this game instead of OG Ananobi? Because for the life of me, I can't figure it out. Um, I think that just because OG was really struggling offensively, mm-hmm. like he just couldn't hit shots. I guess they were kind of thinking Norm's given us this boost the last couple of games um, offensively and is just kind of more of a threat. But I don't really agree with it. Like, I would have rather seen OG, especially if they could have um, had him on Harden and kind of given a lot less help, like we talked about. So I don't agree with it, but I get it just because 
like I said in the Miami game, um, Norman Powell needs to sit the last eight minutes. Like he's been so bad. And then he started and then he just caught fire and he hit the two threes to take the lead and all that. So like Norman Powell, like we know how inconsistent he is, but like, I guess they were just looking for that offensive spark, but yeah, I I'm with you there. Like OG should have closed that game. They needed the defense. Yeah, you can't bank on those sparks when it comes to Norman Powell. And I'm not saying that oh, yeah. he doesn't have those those stretches of of eye-opening performance. He certainly does, you know, especially if they're playing Milwaukee in the playoffs, but you know, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to him on a consistent basis as you mentioned, it's just not really there. And to sort of bank on that and it's not like OG's a scrub on offense. Yeah, he wasn't playing like awesome in terms of that that aspect in this Houston game, but still he does have his presence, especially underneath, especially cleaning yeah. up rebounds. It's there. Um, I would have just went with that, right? I, I Especially because the defensive upside is what you need um, at that point. But let's rewind, go back to the Miami game. Um, for me, this the reason why this game wasn't nearly as frustrating. Yes, the, the overtime performance, only scoring two points in overtime, like that's inexcusable. That's, that's pretty bad. But these teams are just so similar. They're so similar in the way they're constructed. That mm. I, I, when you see it, it's like the Spider-Man meme of them pointing at each other. I'm just like, <laughs> wow, this is this is crazy how similar and alike these teams are. But you have the aspect of a Jimmy Butler on the Heat, and I think that's the the key right there. As good as the Raptors are, and as uh, as much as we want to hype up Pascal Siakam, and I do, like, I, I do think he's in the conversation for an MVP candidate. He's not a killer yet. He's not someone that can like reliably close out games yet, I don't think. I think it's going to happen. I think that is in his future, but today I'm just not seeing it to the level of someone like a Jimmy Butler, but to the level of someone like a Kawhi Leonard. So I think Jimmy Butler is the reason why this game sort of shifted in that aspect. And, you know, in, in terms of the similarities, that to me is something that I don't know that the Raptors possess right now. Would you disagree? Um, no, no, I definitely agree. Like, I'm not a Jimmy Butler fan, but he gets it done. You know, he like even against um, Kawhi in the playoffs last year and like he had some tough defenders on him and he was still he still gets his and he's still the guy like he runs an offense kind of as a wing guy, which are the most valuable players in the league. Like we talk about them all the time. Kawhi, Paul George, LeBron. Um, Giannis, even though he's like a big man, he still kind of runs the offense like a wing. And Jimmy Butler is just one of those top scorers who can also facilitate and also run pick and rolls. And you want your offense going through him in the final minutes. And obviously we saw that in overtime. And Pascal is great. And I think he could even get there by the end of the season, just the way he improves so quickly. Mm. But he's not quite there yet. When he gets taken out and frustrated a little bit it kind of um it kind of takes him out of the game and he doesn't have that that year of facilitating that butler has where you can just i mean he got a triple double in that game because you can just have him even if he's not scoring a ton he still impacts the game offensively where pascal he has the defense all the time but if he's not scoring a ton sometimes he's just um He's just a little bit absent on offense. And when they went to, like, not just Butler, but they have a lot of kind of um, um, just those range, rangy wings and kind of players like Winslow, who had a nice stretch in the fourth quarter, where that that kind of player is a little bit tough for the Raptors to deal with. Um, and then those guys, 
um, probably should have won the game in regulation. And then in overtime, it was just Butler and the Raptors had no answer for him. Right. Yeah. It doesn't help that your leading scorer for this game is, as we mentioned, Norman Powell. Like, you're not going to win games <laughs> that way. You're just not. And, you know, that leads me, we can transition sort of to the next topic of, you know, the reinsertion of Lowry and Ibaka coming back to the lineup. And, you know, we've seen how well the chemistry with the, the I don't want to say reserves, but, you know, the guys replacing yeah, Lowry, the, and, you know. The yeah, secondary guys. Yeah, you know, guys like Chris Boucher, RHJ, Terrence Davis, they stepped up big time in their absence to the point they, they were getting substantial minutes, as we've been mentioning. And, you know, now with Lowry and Ibaka back, it seems clear that those minutes will inevitably take a dip. So with them back, do you consider this to be a detriment in terms of the chemistry that has already been established? Or do you think like this is one of those sort of necessary temporary evils that will eventually fall back into place? Um, no, definitely just the temporary, like, a kind of growing pains kind of mm. thing where they just need to get reincorporated. Like before their injuries, they basically didn't play some of those guys that you mentioned. Um, Boucher, Hollis Jefferson, even Davis, like we're barely playing. And I think it's just something where they just need to get some time playing together. But I think they'll actually be a really nice fit. Um, we've seen Lowry kind of play in those bench heavy units. And they haven't been great so far, but I think that's actually a really good spot for him where he's done in all the past years. Lowry plus bench is kind of like always one of the Raptors best lineups um, just because I think he fits really ne nicely next to Davis where um, Davis can kind of thrive off the ball and not have to dribble as much, not have to be like the primary ball handler. And then Hollis Jefferson kind of pick and rolling with Lowry. He's a really good he. He's like inconsistent a little bit, but yeah. a lot of the time he's a really good finisher. Um, and if not, then he's always there on offensive glass. So I think Lowry will play well with those guys. Um, Ibaka was great before his injury, and I don't think that will be an issue. Um, just having him slot back in as the backup center. And I think it's just something where we need to see like the full rotation for a few more games. And they'll get kind of used to playing, hopefully. Van Vliet doesn't have to play 38 minutes a game <laughs> or Lowry at like 39 minutes a game. Those guys can, or 37 right now, those guys can slow down just a little bit. Um, but I think they'll integrate pretty well. And I think Lowry was really good on Thursday. Like he only took eight shots, but still scored 19 points. Um, he was kind of doing his Lowry things, getting a charge, um, moving the ball well. And it was just, that wasn't like the issue with that game. No, no, and you know, speaking of familiar Lowry, he definitely pulled up a couple of fuck it buckets when it comes to the, you know, the frustrating fast pace right down to the key to the rather to the three point line and jacking up a three just to you know, save <laughs> yeah. time. That's this vintage Kyle Lowry, but you know, I'm I'm with you. I don't think that this is necessarily going to be an issue moving forward, but you had to imagine that like Chris Boucher, his presence was yeah you know, solely due because you know Serge was absent, and when you think about Serge Ibaka coming back, that's obvious. But for me, like RHJ and Terrence Davis specifically, and I think Nurse has sort of you know acknowledged this through his actions. They've earned time. Like they have earned playing oh, time yeah. for this team because they are fearless. They are so fearless when it comes to their to their uh, presence on the floor that it's it's hopefully will become contagious. So, you know, if that's the case, that only one of the three you know contributors during the absence of Lowry and Ibaka will be getting still 
decent minutes. I'm not saying substantial. They probably won't even hit 20. But they're, if they're giving us like 10 to 15 minutes a night from the bench and they're performing well, you can't really hate on it, and they definitely earned it. And you never know. Like Kyle Lowry, I'm not going to call him injury-prone, but there could be some load management, quote-unquote, situations for him down the line. Maybe Terrence Davis gets an extended look at those cases. But, you know, I do find it rather aggressive that Nick Nurse, I know maybe out of necessity, but your first game back, you play upwards almost to 41 minutes. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know <laughs> yeah. if Kyle Lowry's legs were ready for that one. Yeah, I think that was excessive, and we kind of saw it with the shot just wasn't back yet. Like, he still played well other than that, but obviously 2 of 18 is just, like, terrible. And and I don't think, um, yeah, I think Lowry was a little overextended. Um, and I think part of that was just Siakam struggling so much. They needed another creator. But, yeah, ideally they can get Kyle down to around, like, 34, 35 minutes a game. And... I mean, like you said, I think there's room for pretty much everyone except Boucher unless there's another injury just because it's hard to play 10 guys. You're not like we saw, obviously, two years ago, the Raptors had that amazing bench mob and they just went full on five in, five out kind of subs. And that's so rare in the NBA. And I think nine guys is kind of usually the the regular rotation for most NBA teams, and that leaves room for kind of Powell, um, Ibaka, Davis, and Hollis Jefferson off the bench. And I'm not really surprised that Boucher's cut, but you know, like you said, there there are always injuries, and that probably won't be the last of the injuries for this season. So he'll get another chance, and um, and I wouldn't be too concerned with it. Like I wouldn't, I don't blame Nurse like for um, for having to face someone out of the rotation. No. No, not at all. And I think that when it comes to like players, like you see players like Matt Thomas and, you know, Malcolm Miller, like their situations of playing are probably, I I know Matt Thomas is injured, but they're probably not going to get a situation where they're going to log heavy minutes if minutes at all. So like moving forward, I think you're right. I think the rotation of nine guys makes the most sense. Um, I think that, you know, as long as they're contributing, that's fine. And you're not, I don't know that you'll ever see that sort of bench mom mentality of the five and five out uh, ever again. But you, you probably will. Yeah. And that, that's not a bad thing. It's just that, like, as you mentioned, it's so rare. And you have so many contributors in the starting lineup that are performing well and that can supplement the load, like a Fred Van Vliet and a Pascal Siakam, that don't mind playing upwards to 41 minutes, 40 minutes. And they sort of have the youth on their side to maintain that. But if you're going to try to roll out Marcus Gasol or Kyle Lowry or even a surge that much, you might want to hedge your bets on that. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, with that, I just want to make it clear here that despite these two losses and despite like perhaps the the chemistry issues, quote unquote, that people may seem to think that the Raptors have in terms of Lowry and Ibaka coming back in, I don't at all think that this is a long-term issue. I think that having these losses and having these experiences in the beginning of the season, and it's still pretty early, right? We're still about two months into the season. That's not like a long stretch at all. It's enough to know what you have on the floor, but it's not enough to that you can't make adjustments down the line, right? So having said that, I do think that these losses are good in terms of that they will learn from them, they can build on them, and they can sort of make adjustments down the line when these teams meet again because they will. But I do think that, you know, if there's anything on our side, the early side of these losses are advantageous in that nature. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, 
I don't know if anyone's freaking out over it, but like, I'm always, I'm always like wondering why anyone would freak out over a December loss or a November <laughs> loss after seeing like, like we saw what happened last season. Like people were complaining, oh, Kawhi's load managing. Oh, the Raptors can't handle the Bucks and Bledsoe's out playing Lowry and all this stuff. And it's like some things are obviously pretty telling signs, but you can't really get too concerned over a game where they shot 26% on like 43s and this is the second best three-point shooting team in the league. Like, like, yeah, there are other factors, but sometimes it's just like, sometimes it's just, oh, they didn't adjust their defensive strategy early enough. Oh, they missed open shots. And like, we can't, just because it's two losses in a row and we're not used to that, we can't um, be like, act like the sky is falling like yeah these losses are gonna happen and um and there's some concerns like the rebounding um which we've seen all season but like there are also a lot of strengths to this team and i don't think it's so much to worry about especially when they've been performing generally really well and even in the losses they're still in the game they're still close so like you said it's there's stuff to grow from there's stuff to learn from but it's not um it's not the end of the world to lose a couple games here no, no, you you gotta you know put your stock into what you've seen as a conglomerate of this team uh, thus far this season and those same members that were on last season's team. They will make adjustments. And, yeah, and what did Kawhi say? Kawhi said like this is eighty two practices, practices basically. Yep. Like we're just yeah. I mean, it's all about the playoffs at the end of the day, and and I think um, the defense and just the chemistry and the fact that they have like a clear eight or nine guys who I think can play in the playoffs is a really good sign. All right. Well, with that, if anyone's freaking out, don't, don't freak out. We're going to be fine. And um, we're going to, we're going to try to brighten your spirits after this break with the two sweet moment of the week. So hang tight. We will be right back. This is the overtime podcast network. It's time for the two sweet moment of the week here on the South of the Six podcast. All right, so you already know my two sweet moment of the week, Lior, because we talked in you know via DM earlier this week. Um, you said that you wanted your two sweet moment of the week to, or at least in the initially, that was going to be yours. Did yours change, or do we still have the same one? No, mine changed. Okay, yours changed. So why don't you give me yours first? Okay, so... Like I said, we've been ragging on Norman Powell a little bit, um, <laughs> and and I did say that he should have been benched on the stretch, and um, I'm pretty proud of my reverse jinx powers. Um, so I'm gonna give it to him for the two threes he hit in the final minute and a half of that Heat game. Um, Raptors were down 107-100, and he hit a huge three in the corner. Gasol said a nice possibly illegal screen and uh <laughs> norm drove the three to take the lead so uh shouts to norma powell for that one shouldn't the two sweet moment of the week then be your tweet <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna take all the credit all right that's fine that could be like a a, a maybe two sweet moment of the week um <laughs> my two sweet moment of the week was the serge Ibaka poster dunk against houston that was just amazing um it was like seeing Vintage Surge, like with the animalistic char- characteristics of him just getting into like savage mode. I loved it. Um, it was a Did much you see needed. The face he made after. Oh yeah, dude. That's it. That is the best <laughs> thing about Surge with his dunks. The faces afterwards are just like priceless, and they, each one of them can be a gift later down the line. 
Yeah, that man, he's an incredible athlete. Like, I think he's more athletic this season than last season, which I don't know if he just, like, got into better shape or what, but he's looked really nice. I think it's because he won a championship and now he's, like, ready to go. Like, he's full, <laughs> let's just get this, you know? And you love the confidence. You love the confidence seeing uh, bleeding from him about, like, I told you guys. I told you this team was going to be good. I'm laughing about it now, but none of you believe me. I told you, so yeah. it's and good to he see. And Gasol kind of, they kind of went opposite ways in athleticism. Yeah, a little bit. But hey, Gasol did a lot of drinking this this summer. You know, <laughs> he essentially won two championships. So like, hopefully that rounds out into form. But um, all right, let's wrap a bow on this. Let's talk predictions, and then we can uh, put an end to it. So we got Sunday tomorrow at Philadelphia, Monday at Chicago, so there's a back-to-back there. Wednesday, as we mentioned, they're home against the Clippers for Kawhi's return. And then they take two days off until Saturday versus Brooklyn at the Scotiabank Arena. Let's start with Sunday at Philly. What say ye? What do you think the outcome's going to be? I hate to say it, but I think it's going to be a loss. Ooh, there's your three in a row. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I think that's... That's going to be the first time they lose three in a row in 2019. Will it be the only time, though? Yes. Okay. All I right. think it'll be the only time. What makes you think they're going to drop this one? Just because of the uh, the, the, um, the rate of things are going? Or what, what say you? Yeah. No, I don't think it's anything with things are going. I think it's just, it was already a close matchup. Um, I think Philly will play a little better than last time. At least Embiid will. Um and it's tough to play on the road there. They have a nice crowd. And I just think Philly Philly seems to be kind of prepping for it. Like Embiid and um, Josh Richardson are sitting tonight versus the Cavs. Um, I have to figure that they would play tomorrow because they're on the back-to-back. Um, and that that's the reason they're sitting. Um, and I don't think a back-to-back when both of the home games is going to affect them too much. Right. Um, but yeah, I just figure like they'll shoot a little better, um, and Bede will be a lot better, and that will kind of just Philly. Philly hasn't been great to start this season, but I still think their talent is pretty overwhelming and pretty tough to deal with. And I don't think that's an indictment of the Raptors or anything to lose a road game against one of the better teams in the East. I agree. I had this penciled as a loss as well, but I do think it's going to be close. Um, you know, we, yeah, yeah, we've noticed from Philly that they don't have, you know, as much as we mentioned that Toronto doesn't have this element, Philly definitely doesn't have like a closure element unless you're relying on Harris, in which, okay, well, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I don't trust Harris either, yeah. So, like, and good, oh, I, yeah, I'm just, I would just say, like, yeah, Philly. Philly's weird and they're very unpredictable, but they just they they just have a lot of talent. So they kind of have like at least some kind of floor. But like we've seen from the Raptors, like they don't get blown out. They don't roll no. over. And even when, like the one game they were getting blown out was the Bucks game and they still came back and made it almost and made it a game on down the stretch. Right, right. So and, yeah. Mm-hmm. It should be close. Um all right, so second night of the back to back, they traveled to Chicago. I don't care about a back-to-back. I don't care about travel. They're beating Chicago. Uh, I know, yeah. uh, you know from the Pick and Pod, Kevin Kacheri is probably listening to this. Kevin, your team is going to lose to the Raptors, and that's <laughs> You're going to lose. Raptors are taking this one easily. Yes, I agree. Okay. Um, Wednesday, as we mentioned, Clippers come to Toronto. Hate to be that guy. I think the Clippers are going to win this one. Oh, 
Um, yeah, I've been going back and forth on this one. I think, I think I'll give that one to the Raptors. Ooh, I, I think it'll it. be. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it will be based on emotion or anything. I just think they'll play better. They were hanging with the Clippers in that um, in that last game they played against them with no Lowry, no Ibaka. Second night of a back to back against both LA teams. That was kind of the worst possible conditions for it, and they still kind of stayed close. Um, yeah, I think I think this Clippers team is obviously a championship contender, but yeah, they I don't think they're in unbeatable or anything they've lost after that bucks loss now they're 16 and 7 so i think they're beatable and they kind of don't have the most playmaking and the raptors have elite defense so i think they can hang with them all right i love the optimism and if that happens it's going to be a very good night i should mention that um my birthday is next friday so this is pretty much my birthday game so if they yeah if they win this game it will be a nice little birthday gift to me so uh i hope you're right um lastly saturday versus brooklyn at home yeah i'm so, even if Kyrie plays i don't know how long he's expected to be out but even if Kyrie plays i think they're gonna win this game no problem yeah i don't think the nuts are very good even with Kyrie. they're okay but like <laughs> I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not concerned about that i think i picked them to be seventh or eighth in the east to start the season mm-hmm. and they're right around there right now so yeah i would say three and one so i'm going loss win 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 all right all right well there you go i mean if that's what happens you know if we're going three losses in a row but after that three wins in a row everybody should be feeling pretty good after that and even if it's yeah. not even if it's you know a win-win you know, loss win or whatever like i i, I still think that's a, a good little rebound um, if you're going by my expectations here, but you know, let, let's stick with yours. Let's stick with three losses in a row, but followed by <laughs> three wins in a row. I think so. You're going would, two and two. I'm gonna go two and two. But if you're gonna go uh, three yeah. and one, that that's fine with me. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect them to be favored in that Clippers game or anything. Yeah, probably not. But still, it's gonna be an emotional night, and uh, I can imagine that's probably gonna break some sort of TV records. Um, you would think it would in terms of you know Kawhi coming back and. Hopefully they have a little ceremony. You have to imagine they're going to have a video montage for him at the beginning. So. Oh, yeah. They yeah. better. Um, I wonder if <laughs> Uncle right. Dennis will be at that game. <laughs> I wonder if Lawrence Frank will be there. Oh, <laughs> maybe. This guy always in Toronto. <laughs> or if... Uh, or if Kawhi goes to McKenzie, he's like, hey, can you? I have this issue in my leg. Can you check it out? And like, <laughs> yeah, sure, no problem, or something like that, you know. But all right, um, that's going to do it for the show. Um, Leo, you know the deal. It, first of all, it was great for you to come on, and uh, I appreciate you doing so. I appreciate you putting up with my have a cold voice. Um, it, it's been a great conversation, hey, and I'm, I'm glad. Some, you need some load management. I need some load management. <laughs> That's why I'm taking the summer off now. So having said that, you know the deal where people can find you on Twitter. I should say that Lior is your video source for during Raptors games. Anytime there's a highlight play, you have it covered, and I appreciate that. And um, a lot of the higher-ups in the Toronto media have noticed that too, so I give you props for that. But having said that, where people can find you on Twitter, where people can find your work, the floor is yours, my friend. All right, thanks for having me again, Adam. Um, it's always fun on this podcast. Um, exclusively Raptors podcast now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm. You can find me on Twitter um, at my name. So it's Lior Kazai, L I O R 
K-O-Z or Z for Americans like Adam, <coughs> A-I. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm always, like you said, I'm always tweeting during the games. Um, I have a new piece for Raptors Rapture coming out maybe next week, maybe the week after on possibly Pascal Siakam's most improved case. And we're going to be doing some stuff about um, best moments of the decade, different um, top lists of the decade for Raptors Rapture as well in the next month. So look out for that. And I also might have a video, um, kind of a parody video on Kawhi's return, like just a short thing. So look out for that on my Twitter. And um, yeah, thanks for having me again. Of course, man. All the links to Leo's work, his Twitter, all the above will be in the description of the show. It is a simple tap away. If you're listening to this on Apple iTunes, just bring up the artwork, tap the artwork, and it will be right there for you. And again, simple tap. Go to click on the Twitter link and give him a follow. He is, I consider, to be a must-follow, especially during Raptors games. But, uh, Liar, you will definitely be on the show again sometime soon. I'm sure of it. And I appreciate you coming on, man. Take it easy. All right. Thanks again, Adam. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors. Thank you.